God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So, let me ask you that question. What does God say? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the, the Bible is a, a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that Jesus said we'd recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Loneliness has become the plague of the modern world. Even though we're more connected than we've ever been before through our sophisticated telecommunications, our, our social media networks, our transport systems, we're also lonelier than we've ever been before. In fact, recent sociological studies show that the levels of loneliness in Western urban society today are unprecedented. Recently, I was actually reading that in the UK, they've just appointed a new minister for loneliness. Hi, and welcome to episode 50 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and to respond to God's voice. Today we're talking about what to do when you're lonely. Sometimes people think that because we have a God who's personal, who's always with us, a God who speaks back, that we shouldn't be lonely. But it's just not true. We need people. We need flesh and blood. It's not good enough just to have Jesus as your friend. In fact, in my doctoral research, I came across some studies who described Christians as people who had an imaginary friend. I reacted a bit when I first read that. It seemed so condescending. But then I thought about it from their point of view. And I guess it sometimes seems like an invisible friend. We know that God's there. But we can't always feel him, and we can't see him, and we certainly can't touch him. That's why we need people. The well-known church leader Graham Cook says that God speaks to us about 80% of things, and then he gives us people. I think that's true. Even the most godly person in the world doesn't do well if they're alone. So we're going to talk about a super practical area today, what to do when you're lonely and see, well, what does God say about this really important topic? But before we do, can I just mention, I want to acknowledge some incredible people in my world. I think one of the greatest gifts that God has given me is people, people who've gathered around me and who look out for me so I don't get lonely. If you've ever met my leadership team, Anita, Peter, Vicky or Dave, and my prayer team, Zoe, Ali and Vicky, and all my executive assistant Jenny on her travels with us. We call her Super Jenny because that's what she is. Could you give them a warm hello and perhaps a a thank you along the way because they do so much in supporting me and looking out for me such that I don't feel alone. God's greatest gift is people and we need them. So let's talk about that now. What do we do? What is God saying in times of loneliness? How many Facebook friends do you have? One of my friends has 285. Another has nearly two and a half thousand. One of my good friends has none. She lasted about three weeks on Facebook before deciding that she didn't want any at all. Google says that the average number of Facebook friends is just over 100 per person. My latest count is around about 3,498. So that makes me above average. 
my childhood self, who wanted to be popular, would have been very happy about that. These days, of course, the number count of Facebook friends doesn't matter to me. In fact, many of my Facebook friends I know only by name. Some, not even that. Most of them are acquaintances. What matters to me now is something quite different. The truth is you can have a thousand Facebook friends but still feel lonely. You can be in a crowd but still feel isolated. And in a world that's more connected than ever, people are also feeling more lonely than ever. Well, what is loneliness? By definition, loneliness is an emotional response to isolation and lack of companionship. It's an emotional state, not a physical one. So being alone is not the same as being lonely. You can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely, or you can be by yourself in the middle of a desert and not feel lonely at all. Not long ago, I read an article about a well-known rock star. She had just finished a world tour with sellout crowds. She's beautiful, talented and accomplished. Yet she said in the article that she found herself in her hotel room after the concerts, feeling lonely and isolated. It was a surprising read, but it reminds us that we can all experience loneliness at times. So loneliness is a state that we find ourselves in, and it's caused by a whole number of factors. We might have moved to a new city or a new country. We might have started a new job, and we're surrounded by people that we don't know. You may also experience loneliness when you find yourself in a situation where you don't fit in. If you're in an environment where you don't feel comfortable, this is particularly tough if you're being bullied or discriminated against, or if you don't understand the common social interactions for the situation. We could also find ourselves in a time of pain or sickness where we feel isolated and no one is there with us. Sickness and pain has a way of making us feel lonelier than ever. Loneliness is also a product of the times that we live in. These days we move around much more than we used to. In the West, we've largely spurned the extended family. We live in cities rather than small villages and communities where people are more interconnected. We live alone in numbers never seen before. We also spend too much time at work have fewer friends and don't know our neighbours. We lament. Well, actually, we boast about how busy we are and anxiously study our diaries to find windows of time to catch up with friends. We're surrounded by people, but we're lonelier than ever. Social researcher Hugh Mackay calls it RSI, Reduced Social Interaction Syndrome. Loneliness also seems to be a bit more of a problem with men than with women. Research shows the dire state of male relationships. The organisation Beyond Blue in Australia discovered that 25% of 30 to 65-year-old men had no one outside their immediate family who they feel they could rely on. Even where men do have friends to spend time with, a recent study observed that while nearly all men, 97%, agree making time for their mates is essential, the majority 85% of Australian men struggle to find the time. The outcomes of all this are far more significant than we think. Recently, an article published in the Boston Globe said that the biggest threat facing middle-aged men today isn't smoking and it's not obesity, it's loneliness. 
In fact, isolation and loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke and the progression of Alzheimer's. One study found that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. In fact, isolation increases the risk of premature death by 26 to 32%. That's an amazing figure, isn't it? Yet even as we know how important friendships are, the shared time with those we love keeps falling down the list of priorities. We fill our lives with so many activities and we're not spending the time on relationships that we need to stave off loneliness. So that's the bad news. Loneliness is a serious problem in our time. That's why we're going to talk a bit about it on the show. The truth is that God has some solutions to this state. But first of all, we need to recognise the importance of the problem. We need to recognise the importance of building relationships in our lives and be prepared to be proactive about building some good sound principles into them as well. The truth is that God created us to know and be known. We're not supposed to do life on our own. That's not good for us in any respect, physically or emotionally. And there are ways that we can manage even the most difficult seasons of our lives. A few years ago, I was on a ministry trip to New Zealand that lasted five weeks. It was a hugely successful time. Lots of crowds, excellent feedback and real breakthroughs in people's lives. But I came home exhausted and emotionally down. Talking with my leadership team afterwards, I asked myself the question, why? It didn't really make sense. I'd been surrounded by people the whole time. They were incredibly encouraging. They believed in me and the trip was successful. Well, after talking it through, we realised the problem was that I was lonely. I'd been away from the people who knew me best and I was surrounded by people I was just beginning to get to know. The result of that experience was that my leadership team and I decided to limit the length of my trips overseas. Now I tend to go for a shorter period of time. We realised that for me to be emotionally healthy, I needed to be with people who love and know me on a regular basis. What I was experiencing was the impact of loneliness. See, loneliness is not necessarily the state of being alone. It's feeling isolated and disconnected from the people who know you best. That means we can be in a crowd and still feel lonely. It's also why we can feel lonely in a world that's more connected than ever. So we can get onto Facebook and connect with 500 friends, or we can text message someone halfway around the world, but we can still feel lonely. The research says, in fact, that our world is lonelier than ever, and this is having its consequences. It may be surprising to know that isolation has been linked to an increased risk of heart disease stroke and the progression of Alzheimer's. It's proving to be a greater risk factor than smoking or even obesity. So as we look at how do we deal with loneliness, what we need to first understand is that feeling lonely in and of itself is not a bad thing. It merely reflects the fact that we're human. There's nothing wrong with us. Inherent within us is the need to be connected, accepted and understood. We need a sense of belonging. It's a normal and integral part of our humanity. So from the outset, if you're feeling lonely, you need to know there's nothing wrong with you. We need each other. We need relationships. And I'm not just talking about light, surface-level relationships, the kind we might find on social media. 
We need to be truly known and we need to know others. It's the way God made us to be. In fact, if you go back to the creation account in the book of Genesis in the scriptures, you'll notice there's a constant refrain. God made the sea and the skies and he said, it was good. He made the sun and the moon and the stars and he said, it was good. He made the plants and the animals and he said, this is good. But there was one thing that wasn't good and it was this. It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. You can imagine Adam's looking across at all the animals and each one of them has another animal just like itself. He's looking at the elephants and the giraffes and the lions and none of them are alone. Then he looks at himself and he sees that he's alone and God says, it isn't good. His solution, of course, was another person, one who was suitable, one who was just like he was. We're not made to be alone. That means when everything else is good, when I have a successful job, when I have plenty of money in the bank and a lovely roof over my head, even if I'm on the most beautiful beach in the world or on top of the most incredible mountain, even if I'm surrounded by spectacular beauty, if I'm alone, I have nothing. Years ago, I visited an orphanage in Thailand, and it obviously had many needs. If you've been to visit those kind of countries, you'll find you'll be overwhelmed by the need that's there. In this particular place, there was a need for sanitation, for healthy water supplies and good nutritious food. But when our team was there and we asked, well, how can we help? You know what they said? Go around the orphanage and hold the babies. Walk around the rooms, pick them up. Play with them, talk to them, touch them. They desperately need human interaction. See, the truth is that children don't develop properly without human touch and interaction. And the same is true for adults. It's the way that we were made. Everyone has relational needs. Whatever state they find themselves in, rich, poor, old, young, single, widowed, married or divorced, You know, I used to feel bad about those times I felt lonely, those times when I felt like I was alone and struggling with it. We would sing those songs in church, you're all I need, and I'd sing them loudly with great gusto. But at the same time as I was mouthing those lyrics, I was thinking, but but God, what about this ache inside of me? What's wrong with me? And then I would feel bad about feeling bad. Those songs that we sing, they're true and they're not true. God created us with a need for other people. He created us to need more than just him. God is spirit, but we also need flesh and blood. He loves me, but he's not there to greet me when I come home from work and there's no one to say, how was your day? He doesn't stand next to me at parties when I'm on my own and feeling like a loser. He's not there to wrap his arms around me when I've just been given news that breaks my heart. We all need people. We need people to listen to us, to touch us, to be present with us. We need people to be there during the good and the bad. So the first step to dealing with loneliness is to understand this natural human need that we have. Because if we don't understand it, then we won't prioritise it. We won't put things in place to deal with it and we'll find ourselves feeling lonelier than ever. 
One of the first things you notice about moving to a new city is that you have no memories there. That's how I felt when I moved interstate a number of years ago. I had left my church, my home, and all of my close friends. And here I was in a strange, unknown city. I didn't know the way around the roads. I kept getting lost. I was living in my brother's garage. Everything felt strange, even my church. I knew no one. It was a horrible feeling. What do we do in those times? How do we get through the lonely periods of our lives? There are situations in life where each one of us at some stage will feel alone, where circumstances mean that you're isolated from those who love and know you. I remember during those first few months of moving cities that I would come home and I would put my worship music on and I would cry out to God. I would use the times to draw nearer to him, to really call out to him. This is what we need to do in our times of loneliness. We need to reach out to God. We need to pray, to lift our hearts towards him, to draw near. God's promise is that he will be present with us in times of loneliness. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. What an incredible promise that is. Let me read from the words of Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6. It says this, it says, Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. What a beautiful psalm. Those words, I love that he comes to the fatherless, to the widow, to the ones who have been deserted by their natural family by the ones who should have been closest. And God's heart is especially aligned towards them. His heart is also for the one who may have been bullied, the one who's feeling isolated from sickness, the one who's feeling rejected for who they are. His heart is towards the lonely. The truth is that God understands what it's like to be alone. He's the one who entered our world and experienced so much of what we experience today. One of the most lonely scenes we know of is Jesus hanging forsaken on the cross. He'd been deserted by all his friends. Each one of his 12 disciples had left him. One of his closest had betrayed him completely, saying he didn't even know him. Then Jesus experienced the ultimate separation from God as he carried our sin for us. Jesus understands what it means to be lonely and his promise is to be with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us, the scriptures say. He is an ever-present refuge in times of trouble. When we're feeling lonely, we need to allow that truth to sink in. We need to reach out to him, to sing to him, to remind ourselves that God is father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. But not only does that truth bring comfort, not only does God promise to be with us, He also works to provide for us. See, the psalm goes on to say that God sets the lonely in families. He leads the prisoners out with singing. That means that God makes practical provision for us. You see, God's love must take shape in human flesh at some point. And usually it's more than one person. These relationships are his provision. They're his hands 
and his feet. They're his voices of wisdom, his tool of instruction and refining. They're his hugs of comfort and they're his prophets of hope. God works to put the right people in our lives when we need it. That's the promise that we have. So all we need to do is to look to him and to accept God's provision when it comes. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. I can remember that season in my new city. Those first couple of months were tough, but gradually God began to provide friends for me, ones who had the same heart as I did. And as time went on and as the season changed, he provided me with other friends, people who saw who I was and where I was going in my calling. Every single one of them was a gift from the hand of God. See, at the same time, we need to be open to accepting God's provision, to accepting new friendships. Sometimes those people don't look like we expect. The gift of relationships doesn't always come packaged in the way we think they would. Sometimes they're already present in our lives, but we haven't fully embraced them. God may have already provided for you, but you're looking for something else or you haven't taken advantage of developing the relationship that's right in front of you. And this can mean being proactive. It means making the most of the relationships that are already in our lives. Maybe that neighbour you've met only once or twice or that person at church who you've seen sitting alone. Perhaps a colleague at work who could do with an invitation to coffee or the person you sit next to on the train every day who's yet to initiate a conversation. It means opening up your heart and being prepared to both give and receive. Relationships are always a two-way street. God may well be providing for us, but we haven't recognised it yet. So we need to pray, to reach out to him, to ask for his provision, but then we need to look for his answers. They may well come in a way that we don't expect. Hearing God's voice is one of the most important ways we get to know God, yet so many fail to experience it. Here at God Conversations, we're committed to equipping people all over the world to recognise and respond to God's voice. It's a big vision, so we'd like to give you the opportunity to join with us by investing in the ministry. You can become a partner either by sponsoring a special project or by giving on a monthly basis. If you're unable to give financially, we would so value your prayers for God's continued hand of favour as we seek to reach people all over the world. For more information on partnership, go to godconversations.com slash partners. There's a popular scripture that's often read at weddings. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and it says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to pick them up. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations like this. Things go wrong and we find that there is no one there to help us up. We've been talking on the show this week about how to deal with loneliness, how those feelings of isolation are actually a reflection of our God-given humanity. And it was God himself who said it wasn't good for us to be alone. But what do we do when there's no one there to help pick us up? The key is to answer this question before it's needed. So often we find ourselves in a time of trouble and we look around for people who can help us. 
But this is the worst time to develop those relationships. The best times to build relationships is when we have more to give. Those times when we're flourishing so that those same people can be there for us in our time of need. We need to proactively build our relationships today so that they'll be there for us tomorrow. But more than that, we need to think about identifying the different levels of relationships in our lives. Loneliness can come even when we're surrounded by people. So it's not about the numbers. It's about the level of relationship that they form in our lives. One way to think about this is to think about relationships being in concentric circles around our lives. The outer circle are the acquaintances. They're the people who, if we meet in the street, we chat briefly. We might make small talk about things like the weather and our health and what we've been doing that morning. They may be the kind of people we've worked with or friends of friends or or perhaps people who have had some place in our past. This circle forms a wide range of people that we know of. They're the kinds of people we have as our Facebook friends. Then there's another circle of relationships who lie inside this outer circle. These are the people at the second level, people who know us more than the acquaintances and who we engage more deeply with. They might be relatives or colleagues or neighbours, people that we would spend more time with and perhaps hang out with on the weekends. Then there's the third circle of relationships, our inner circle. There are only a few people in this circle. They include your best friend or your spouse or perhaps a really close sibling. They're the people that you trust implicitly, the ones you can be your most vulnerable with the ones that you would call in a crisis. They're the people who you need the most. These are the ones who stave off those feelings of loneliness. The ones who know you, maybe even better than you know yourself. It's all about the level of intimacy. See, isolation occurs when we don't have people in our world who know and understand us well. But these people in the inner circle, they're the ones who know what gift to give you for your birthday, who know what you're thinking before you even say it, and who can anticipate your feelings in any given situation. It's these kinds of relationships that make us feel known, who make us feel like we're not alone in this life. But these kinds of relationships are not built overnight. They don't just happen Movement between those concentric circles takes time. Relationships grow and change when trust is built and intimacy grows. So people may move from the third tier of relationships into the second or from the second tier into that inner circle. At the same time, there may be movement away from that inner circle, perhaps when trust is broken or when seasons change. People move in and out from those different intimacy levels of relationship. The key is knowing where people lie on those circles at any given time. It's about taking time to reflect on your relationships and understand where they fit in your life. Often we can get our relationships mismatched. We look to that second tier of relationships in a time of need instead of the inner circle. Or perhaps we haven't fully built our inner circle. Or maybe someone from our second circle reveals something very personal about themselves, 
but the trust hasn't been built yet. Reflecting on my own relationship circles has been absolutely instrumental in helping me through those lonely periods of life. As a single person who's not yet married, that inner circle hasn't always been so obvious. But as time has gone on, I've recognised the people who fit that circle and I work hard to prioritise those relationships. There's only three people in that circle right now and I know each one of them will always be there for me when I'm feeling alone. Then there are people on that second tier. I love hanging out with those people, but I'm less likely to fully open up to them. They're not the ones I go to when I'm lonely. And then, of course, there's that third tier, people who I know and respect, who may well move into that second tier as time goes on. If we want to deal with loneliness in our lives, we need to be proactive about taking steps to build that inner circle. It's about consciously identifying those people and then being open to allowing intimacy to grow. But also remembering that intimacy is a two-way street. It's about being available to openly share your true self with those people. It's about investing time into them. It's about prioritising resources and effort to consciously build them. It's about building intimacy with people who know us and who we ourselves know. This is the kind of relationship God desires to have with us. It's about being real and it's about being known. It's not always easy, but let me tell you, it's always worth it. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I trust it's given you some practical advice about how to build a life that prevents loneliness from taking hold. For those times when you feel like you fall down, there'll be always someone there who can help to pick you up. I've known my good friend Anita for over 10 years now. We have a wonderful friendship and some great times that we've shared together. In fact, it's largely because of that friendship that neither one of us has suffered from real loneliness in a long time. Recently, our friendship was profiled in the weekend magazine of a national newspaper. It was part of a feature article, a regular, called The Two of Us. Each week, the article describes a relationship between two people. It's a great concept. For our article, Anita and I were both interviewed separately. Then the journalist wrote up the piece from both our perspectives. Both told about how our friendship had been a gift through this season of life. It was a beautiful piece. After our article was published, it was shared through social media channels and attracted a whole range of comments. One of them said this, Oh, you two are so lucky that God has blessed you with your friendship. I remember reading that. In fact, my friend read it and she laughed out loud. Are you kidding? Lucky? Our friendship has nothing to do with luck. It was all that intense conversation. The truth is that God has blessed us with our friendship. When we look back, he did open the door for us to meet. And he even spoke to both of us individually that we should connect with each other. God certainly did provide us with an incredible blessing. Over the years, we've been there to encourage and support one another through all of the job losses and the relationship breakdowns and some of the broken dreams that have happened. We've prayed for each other, we've believed in each other, and we've coached each other to be better people. I honestly couldn't have done what I've done in my ministry without her. Our friendship has been one of the best gifts of my life. 
But at the same time, as Anita said, all of that has nothing to do with luck or even God's provision. Our friendship has taken a lot of hard work to develop. We have both invested deeply into it. We've both been committed to each other and that has involved a good deal of sacrifice, not only financially or time-wise, but emotionally. When Anita moved interstate for a few years, we would both schedule in weekends to fly up or down so that we could spend time together. We've both sought the interests of the other above ourselves. We've put the other person first. We've tried to listen and share during those hard times. Anita even came on a long kayaking expedition with me in the Philippines when she hadn't been kayaking before and she doesn't particularly like camping. Our friendship has been one of giving and of listening and of serving. Sometimes we find ourselves in a lonely state and we we find ourselves looking around and asking, well, where are my friends? But you can't expect someone who hardly knows you to be there for you in those times. If we want friends in times of loneliness, we need to be a friend. We need to invest in those inner circle relationships before the hard times come. See, love doesn't just happen. I remember years ago when I first met my friend Anita, she had another friend who lived overseas who was getting married. Anita understood how important it was for her to be there on such an incredibly important occasion. So she booked a flight to go over there for just three days. I remember looking at that and thinking, what a huge sacrifice. She wasn't particularly cashed up. And when the time came, she wasn't very well. She caught a really bad cold. But still she got on the plane and she went over there to serve her friend for her most important day. You see, that's what love does. And the result of that and those kinds of actions is that Anita has friends who will fly around the world to be with her when she needs it. So someone could look at that example and say, wow, how lucky is she? How blessed is she that God provides for her like that? But what people don't always see is what's happened to build those relationships behind the scenes. Those friends are only willing to love and give because she has loved and given to them. If we want to be the people that don't suffer from loneliness, we need to be prepared to invest in our relationships. And we need to understand that it's going to take sacrifice, it's going to take resource, and it's going to take time. But that's what love does. Yes, we live in a world that is lonelier than ever. Yes, we're more connected by technology than ever before, but not always by relationship. That's why we need to be proactive. We need to take steps to recognise our need in the midst of it all, to understand that God created us for relationship. And that's not just superficial acquaintances, but it's for intimacy, where we know and we're known. We need to understand that we can have the most beautiful home, the largest bank account and the most prestigious of careers. But if we don't have love in our lives, we'll find ourselves lonely and deeply unhappy and our health might even be seriously impacted as a result. Let's be people that understand our need and then let's take real steps, active steps to build that inner circle of relationship, to really invest in the friendships that matter. Take time to give, to love and to serve those who God has provided for you so that in those times when you find yourself alone, you'll not suffer loneliness.
I trust that you've enjoyed our show on how to deal with loneliness. Can I encourage you to look out for those around you who are lonely and reach out to them as well? We were not supposed to do this life alone. Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too. 